If a man's ways please the Lord like Joseph's, God will take care of it. Even your enemies will be at peace with you. Maybe you're a young person here today and, and, and there's some friction at home. Just let your life please the Lord. Maybe you're a spouse here today and there's some friction in your marriage. Just let your life please the Lord. Maybe you're an employee here and, and you're having a hard time with your coworkers or your boss. But really, is your life pleasing to the Lord? Maybe you're a church member and you're going through it. Just please God. Joseph was not nearly so worried about being in that prison as he was pleasing God. That's what he wanted to do above all. Just wanted to please God. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. If you would turn to Genesis chapter 39, Genesis chapter 39. You know, the Bible is an amazing book. It's not everything God knows, and I've mentioned that before. In fact, uh, it's not everything that's happened in history. In fact, (laughs) you'd fill the sanctuary with the books that could be written about what has taken place in history. And yet, God has carefully placed the stories in the Bible that are there for us to learn something from. And, And when he puts a story in the Bible, and he tells it pretty much from start to finish, and he lets it unfold before us, It's really an amazing thing, and such is the life of Joseph that we see as we've been looking at it here over the last few weeks. We've seen that Joseph was 17 when we're really introduced to him in the Bible. How many of you are 17 here or 16 along those lines? All right. That's about the age Joseph was, if you can imagine that. And he had tremendous character. He was a a, a fine young man, but he came from a very dysfunctional home. His brothers hated him. In fact, they plotted to murder him. They had an opportunity to do so, but uh, they decided to make some money off him instead and sell him into slavery. And we find that he gets over into Egypt, and there in Egypt he comes into the house of a man by the name of Potiphar, who's the captain of the guard. And he works his way to the top of that household. But Potiphar's wife casts her eyes upon Joseph. Now Joseph really had a good thing going. He really had anything he could want except this. It was forbidden. It was out of bounds. It was off limits to him. And he knew that. He wasn't about to disappoint his God. And so he kept turning her down and turning her down and turning her down until finally she got extremely aggressive and went after him physically, in which case he had to just run from the house without his coat and left it behind in her hands. And he's falsely accused of rape. And that's where we left off last time. In Genesis 39, we'll pick it up in verse number 13. It says, And it came to pass, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him, that is Potiphar, according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought in unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. 
And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, Joseph. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. When we were kids, we had these things called weebles. Remember, weebles wobbled, but they don't fall down. That's Joseph. You could just keep knocking him down. He just kept bouncing back up. He just kept overcoming. And so we need to look at his life and find out how we in the 21st century as well can overcome. Let's pray before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you, dear Lord, to bless this time in thy word. We help, ask for your help now that we would listen carefully and that we would apply the, the truths that are taught from the scriptures. We pray now and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's not a teacher in the universe like God. God is the ultimate teacher. And life is the ultimate classroom. And it doesn't necessarily mean we need buildings, we don't need paid teachers, we don't need a a, a library full of books. When it comes to life, we learn lessons from God. And some of them can be some very hard lessons. But you need to understand this, and I need to understand this about God. God is never satisfied where we're at. You and I get satisfied, don't we? Oh, this is good enough, you know, and we can get complacent. But God says, you will not get stagnant in my presence. If I have saved you and you are my child, I want to bring you higher. I want to bring you to the next level. And we find that he's doing that in the life of Joseph. Now, Joseph came from a dysfunctional family. You think you may have come from a dysfunctional family. I'm telling you, if you take a look at him, first of all, his oldest brother commits some form of incest with, uh, we'd call her, her his stepmother. The next two boys commit murder and they wipe out a village. The next son, down, commits incest with his daughter-in-law, unknowingly. Imagine that. And we could go right down through the lineup, but really, perhaps the biggest piece of work in the whole thing is Daddy Jacob. (laughs) You talk about a mess. I mean, he was a schemer from the minute, in, in fact, when he was born, he was already trying to trip up his brother. He's always making deals. He's always pulling a fast one. And, and finally, life catches up with him. And he's another subject altogether. But you think you come from a dysfunctional family. I'll guarantee you, Joseph outdoes it. And yet, in the midst of it all, we find one key phrase. Don't miss it. Throughout the life of Joseph, we see it. And that is, but the Lord was with him. No matter what happened, the Lord was with him. Look in chapter 39, if you would, and verse number 2. It says, And the Lord was with Joseph. Now this is after he sold into Egyptian slavery. Notice in chapter chapter 39, verse 21, it says at uh, the beginning, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And then look again in the middle, just after the middle of verse 23. Notice where it says, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Notice over and over again, and it's in, it's in the book even more, the Lord was with Joseph. So all this stuff is coming down on Joseph, and yet God hadn't forsaken him. You ever feel abandoned? Maybe by your loved ones, maybe by your friends, maybe by your co-workers, maybe even by God. You feel forsaken, you feel abandoned. Well, we read in Hebrews 13.5, He hath said, I will never leave thee, 
nor forsake thee. And we just sung about it a moment ago. If you're looking at the lyrics of some of the congregational singing we just did, God says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And he never left Joseph. And he never forsook Joseph. And you see that phrase even more after this, and the Lord was with him. God is good. No matter what you may think, no matter what others might say, God is good. And we read in Romans 8.31, If God be for us, who can be against us? That's true in the life of Joseph. God was for him. Who could be against him? And that's true for us as well, just to be sure. But we find here in the life of Joseph, we've looked at it, that he faced rejection. He faced a number of things. We see him, first of all, surviving abuse. That's what we call it. And he's rejected by his brothers. He's hated by his brothers. He's abused by his brothers. But he's an overcomer. And he is surviving abuse. But secondly, we see him sidestepping allurement. He passed the first test with flying colors. He got over the rejection and he just went on. But the devil's not done with him. And now there's this hussy, this tramp, this seductive woman. We don't know her name. We just know her as Potiphar's wife. And she comes after Joseph. And she tempts him. Now we all face temptation, don't we? The devil is a master fisherman, and he uses deadly bait when he trolls. And he is out trolling for us continually. And I'll guarantee you, even right now in your life, he has a plan, he has a trap set, he has a line, a landmine out in front of you that he is planning to ensnare you in. And you and I need to understand some truths about temptation here. First of all, God monitors it. And that's exciting to me to know. That's encouraging to know. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God is faithful who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it or handle it. And certainly we find that in the life of Joseph. God monitors our temptations and he will not allow us to be tempted above that which we're able. That tells me that whatever's coming our way, by God's grace, we don't have to cave in and we should be able to handle it, plain and simple. And when we look at the likes of Eve, who caved into temptation, or guys like Lot, or guys like Achan, or even David, we realize, really, it's not God's fault. Because God wouldn't have allowed a temptation into their life that, by His grace, they weren't able to handle. So here's a temptation in Joseph's life. And Potiphar's wife's on the prowl. She's trolling. And there's no question whatsoever what she wants. She wants Joseph. Now, here's Joseph. He's been betrayed. He's in Egyptian bondage. He could have been bitter. He could have justified it. He could have said, if this is the best that God can do, then I'm just going to commit adultery. And he could have also said, man, I'm a long ways from home. Mom and dad would ever, never know it. Nobody around here really knows me. So why don't I just do it? And let me just say, a weaker man, many weaker men would have caved in sadly caved in because Potiphar's wife was pouring it on. She was using flattery. Boy, that's a deadly thing. And watch out for the flattery, guys. And she was using provocative dress, and we've talked about that. Watch out for that. The devil knows what he does. And, and she's flirting. God help us. But you got all these things here, and the devil knows how to push those buttons. You say, well, he can't get to me, Pastor. Watch out. He'll especially get to you if you think he can't. We read in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. It will blindside you and me. And so we'd better be on our toes. We better do several things, actually. First of all, we need to stay away from the border. You know what I mean by that? 
If something's a weakness, if something's a temptation, don't play footsie with it. Don't hang around with it. Don't get near it. Don't say, well, I'll just kind of resist it. No, stay away from the border. Stay away from the border. Secondly, be sure you love the Lord. Because sin and temptation, I'm telling you, it's like quicksand. And if we don't really love God, nothing's going to keep us out of it. Sin is not a passive thing. Potiphar's wife was not a passive, lethargic, I mean, just a humdrum kind of a gal. She is a picture of sin. And she was aggressive. She was bold. She was relentless. When all else failed, she got physical. I'm telling you, sin is aggressive. And so, stay away from the border. Be sure you love the Lord. Thirdly, consider who you're going to let down. If you cave into temptation, think of those people you're letting down. I think of my wife. I think of my children. Uh, Think of your co-workers. Think of your family. Think of your fellow church members. Think of your God. Think of those that you're going to be letting down if you cave in. Fourthly, never minimize sin. We live in a society that really laughs at everything now, including adultery and housewives cheating on their husbands. Oh, that's funny, you know? And it can really callous us. Joseph called it what it was. Notice here in chapter 39, when she came after him at the end of verse 9, he said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I mean, he didn't minimize it. It is great wickedness and sin against God. We look at adultery and we say, oh, just flirting, just having a fling, oh, just having an affair. Joseph said it is great wickedness and a sin against God. Fifthly, want to stay out of sin? Realize that you belong to God. You belong to God. We read in 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. If you've been saved, child of God, you belong to God. We have no right to do with our Our bodies, whatever we please, we are God's property. We've been bought with a price. We're to glorify God in our body and spirits, which are God's. Number six, how do we overcome temptation? Flee from it. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee fornication. And I looked that up in the Greek earlier today, and it means get out of there (laughs) with haste. Flee fornication. We don't find Joseph sitting around there trying to rationalize and and, and reason with with Potiphar's wife using logic. He just puts on his running shoes, mate, you know, as the kid's song says, and he gets out of there. The Bible says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. It's like God takes this particular sin, and all sin is sin, but he sets it apart and he says, really run from this one. And he kind of differentiates it from every other sin. And he says, he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And that's the point. Now, Joseph did right. He got out of there. He preserved his, his integrity. And he's immortalized for that. That's great. But unfortunately, he's going to pay for this. There was a playwright back in the 1700s by the name of William Congreve. He said this expression, and you're probably familiar with it. Hell knoweth no wrath like a woman scorned. You ever thought what that means? I mean, hell knoweth no wrath like a woman scorned. Potiphar's wife had been scorned, and Joseph now is going to pay the price for it. Imagine that, being punished for doing what's right. That's all he did. He did that which was pleasing to God, and now he's going to be punished for it. Why? That shouldn't be. You ever been punished for something, 
And you said, why? Well, the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.17, For it is better if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. God says, don't suffer for wrongdoing, but if you have to suffer for doing right, if it's within my will, so be it. And there is a special, I believe, a smile on the face of God when we go through it with a good attitude and we are punished for something that we didn't do. In the following chapter, Peter says in 1 Peter 4.19, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. Let them that suffer according to the will of God. Is it possible to suffer according to the will of God? Most certainly. And Joseph is doing that right now. When we do, don't get bitter. Get better. And believe that God is up to something. That's the bottom line. God is always up to something. And God was up to something in the life of Joseph. Uh, He was honing him. He was putting him in a position. The very reason he was in Egypt in the first place is God knew there was a famine coming. And Joseph was going to play a very instrumental part in all of that. And so when that happens, folks, God's up to something. Let's just trust him. Let's just trust him plain and simple. Through the course of Joseph's sufferings, as he's going through all of this, you know what he's learning? He's learning mercy. He is learning compassion. He is learning to, uh, to empathize and pity the pathetic, the down and out, because he's going to be dealing with a lot of them. He's dealing with some pretty down and out guys in that jail cell. He's dealing with a butler and a baker who are going to hit rock bottom. He's dealing with some people who are coming to him starving. He's going to be dealing with his sniveling brothers eventually or coming asking for mercy. And through all this suffering, Joseph's going to learn to be compassionate and to show mercy unto all of them. In fact, even when his brothers showed up, he tried to be rough to them. Remember that? (laughs) He ends up bawling in the other room. He just had such a tender heart because he had gone through all this. God had taught him compassion and mercy, and it's really heartwarming. You might wonder why you go through the mill, and I might wonder. Could it be that God is trying to cultivate compassion in us? And mercy in us, maybe? We can get calloused. But Joseph knew what it was like to be at the very bottom. And as a result, he knew how to treat people in mercy, how to dispense mercy. He had been through God's school of mercy. And may I say to you, if you lack mercy, if you're a heavy justice person, watch out you might have to go through some of this for God to get that out of you. Watch out. So we see Joseph, first of all, we see him surviving abuse. We see him sidestepping allurement. Thirdly, we see him suffering accusation. Now, as we move on today, we find out he's being falsely accused. And we pick it up in chapter 39 and in verse number 12. Notice, and she, Potiphar's wife, caught him, Joseph, by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought it in Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. Notice the first thing she does here. She's pitiful. She's going to do a lot of stuff. But the first thing she does is she uses the H word. She uses this buzzword, Hebrew. And it wasn't a flattering term there in Egypt, I'll guarantee you that. It was by design because there was contempt for the Jewish people there in Egypt. And so the first thing she points out to the co-workers is, he brought in this Hebrew. We got an issue right here. And that was arsenal. She was saying, he is one of them. One of them. You know, if you've been born again the Bible way, you're one of them. (laughs) 
And I'm not saying a Hebrew, but I'm saying one of those Bible-believing, born-again, saved Christians. And you have a label on you. And it's not visible, but it's there. I'll guarantee you, amongst your relatives, you're that born-again Christian. Amongst your co-workers, you're one of them. One of them. And if you are godly and living the life, you're going to be an irritant to the unsaved. Plain and simple. Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, if a Christian's been born again and they're not suffering persecution, the question is, are they living godly? Pretty good question, isn't it? But Joseph was living godly, and now he's that Hebrew. And if you are in the 21st century and you're living godly as a born-again Christian, you are that saved person. And if you don't laugh at the smutty humor, if you don't get drunk at the the company parties, if you go to church three times a week and, and bring your Bible and you have standards, by the way, if you have all those things, that's the norm to God. But to the world, you're weird. You are one of them, plain and simple. Because there's a world out there that's clueless about its creator. Really. Oh, they talk about him, but they really don't know him. Only in their head. They have no real relationship with God. If they're honest, they just admit that. He's just the the big man upstairs, the big guy in the sky, that kind of thing. And they look at a born-again Christian like a two-headed freak, basically. If you're really living the life, you are one of them. And they will talk behind your back. In fact, I'm not trying to spoil your day. They are talking behind your back. Did you know that? We read in 1 Peter 4, 4, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. And so they'll do this beside their head. Yeah, he's one of those. And they'll, they'll roll their eyes and that kind of raise their eyebrows and so on. And they'll think it's strange that you don't do the same stuff they do, the same excess of riot, and they will speak evil of you. And so right off the bat, she calls them that Hebrew. That Hebrew is one of them. And really, she's just trying to sandbag her cause here. She's trying to reinforce what she's trying to do here. Ever known anyone like that? I mean, she's trying to get all the co-workers on her side right away by reinforcing herself. And the rest of the servants, probably, they're jealous of Joseph anyway because he came in after them and he rose above them. And, and so they're not going to have a hard time convincing. That's another tactic of the devil. Now, let me show you another tactic she used here. Verse 14, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us, first strike, to mock us. Notice, speaking of Joseph, the next three words, he came in. He came in. He came in. But that's where the truth ended. (laughs) Did he come in? Yeah, he came in. But it's a half-truth. She's going to lie about him from that point on. She's going to embellish the story here. You ever had somebody lie about you and trash your name? But they use some truth in order to do it. I mentioned a couple of examples in a recent sermon uh, of somebody who was, was basically trying to trash my name to somebody else, said that I'd thrown him off a bus. Well, I was on the bus with this person, but that's where the truth ended. And then somebody else mentioned that uh, they had thrown up in the hospital and I was visiting them and I ran out of the room. And, and I'm like, okay, I was in the hospital room. That much is true. But he never threw up and I never ran out. And that's where the truth ended. See what I'm saying? If you can use some truth, it gives your story more credibility. And if somebody is trying to trash your name, they can use some truth to it. But lie about the rest. That's exactly what Potiphar's wife is doing. He came in. That's, that's true. But you know something? That's where the truth ended. Notice in verse 14, 
She said, and I cried out with a loud voice. Yeah, come on back, Joseph, you know. That's really what she had to say. And she cried out with a loud voice. But notice in verse 15, came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. Now, it's hard not to leave your garment behind when you have this hussy clinging to it and you're trying to get out of there. But yeah, he left his coat behind. Sure has a hard time with coats, doesn't he, this Joseph here? Always getting in trouble over his dumb coat here. But he left it behind. Now notice you've got interwoven here some truth and some fiction. And it's a really deadly thing, but that's exactly what the devil will do. And, and that's really the worst kind of lying, but that's human nature. We are so depraved, we'll sandbag ourselves with half-truth. And here's this frame-up taking place. Here's Potiphar's wife beating Joseph to the punch, getting her story to these hired servants, and it's a whopper. And only Potiphar's wife knew the truth, and Joseph knew the truth, but God also knew the truth. So, who's Potiphar going to believe? Good question. When it really comes down to it now, who's he going to believe? There's no polygraph test, no lie detector test back in those days. It's his word against hers. He's married to her. But don't you think he knew his wife after all these years? I do. And don't you think he knew Joseph and his character well enough at this point? I think if you figure those two things in, uh, he had to throw Joseph in jail. And he had no choice. I mean... Potiphar and his wife were socialites. They, uh, they were cultured. They hobnobbed and with the big shots, and this is going to get around. So he has to make an example of Joseph. I think he knew what was going on. Notice in verse number 19. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. So it tells us he's mad. It doesn't tell us who he's mad at. Good question, isn't it? Who is he mad at? Could it be his wife? Could it be more the circumstances? Could it be more frustration? Have you ever known anyone diabolical who makes a mess and then somebody else has to come in and keep fixing it, keep cleaning it up? I'm thinking of a, of a, of a lady that I knew years ago. I'm telling you, she would get into trouble. She would open her mouth. She would do something foolish. And she would stir something up and cause a mess. And then she would be in trouble and try and fix it and couldn't. And she'd finally say, well, I'm going to go get my husband. And I felt so sorry for that poor guy. She was always going to get her husband to clean up her mess, basically. And now Potiphar is going to have to clean up his wife's mess. Well, he should have had Joseph beheaded. He's the captain of the guard, remember that? I mean, it's his call. I mean, this is the top guy, captain of the guards, captain of the jail. But he doesn't. I think his own conscience wouldn't let him. And so he throws Joseph into prison. And prisons in Egypt were not pretty. They were like jails in Mexico today. They weren't like Hilton's in America here. They were like a, a real jail, okay? And, and Joseph ends up in that. And, and how does he feel at this point? I mean, this is a charade. He knows the truth of the matter. And he knows that Potiphar knows the truth of the matter. But it doesn't do him any good. Still in jail, isn't he? Still in prison. What do you do when life's not fair? I mean, what do, you, what do you do? And the Bible is full of examples like this. If, if, if you and I have this perfect little world mentality, <laughs> we are really good. We're in for a long life, aren't we? Because it's not a perfect little world and life is not fair. We read in Job 21.7, Job says, Wherefore do the wicked live, become old, ye are mighty in power. 
Now here he is, suffering for doing right, saying, this doesn't seem right to me. I mean, the wicked grow old and they're mighty in power. Have you had some injustices in your life? I've had my share. I'd imagine you've had some. And your justice siren screams, this isn't just. It's not fair. It's not right. What's God going to do about this? Well, we read in Romans 9.14, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. There is no unrighteousness with God and judgment day is coming. You might say, well, he needs to fix it now. God's not on our timetable, folks. Never has been, never will be. He has all the time in the world. We're just passing through. God's always been around, always will be around. And is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. God will fix it one day. Now, in the meantime, let me just say, don't try and do God's job for him. I see a lot of Christians, they see an injustice, and they try and play the Holy Spirit and get in there and fix it for God. God doesn't need our help. That's, it's hard to keep our hands off it, I'll guarantee you. I've been there, done that. You want to fix it, but let God do His job. Secondly, realize that you and I haven't come, we haven't even come close to encountering what the Lord had to encounter as far as injustices go. I mean, we live to be a thousand. We'll never go through what Jesus Christ went through. 1 Peter 2.23 says of Christ, who when He was reviled, reviled not again. And when He suffered, He threatened not, but committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously. I've highlighted those words, committed Himself. That means in the Greek, surrendered Himself. What a, what a great example. What a wonderful thing He did. When He was reviled, and He certainly was, he didn't lash back out again. He reviled not again, the Bible says. And when he suffered, he threatened not. You know that victims on the cross, normally it would turn into this, this uh, drama here because those men being crucified had nothing to lose and they would curse and they'd swear and they'd spit at the crowd in their dying moments. Not Christ. None of that. When he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Now, who's that? Well, that's God the Father. He judgeth righteously, and Christ just committed himself unto him, surrendered it up to the will of God. Joseph here is a picture of Christ, by the way. We find him doing the same thing. He didn't say anything. We don't, we don't read about him defending himself. Now, maybe he said, sir, that's not the way it happened. But either way, he sunk. I mean, if, if, if he calls her a liar, I mean, he's in trouble. If he denies it, he's in trouble. And so, here we are, like, like the Lord, Joseph's denying, or, or saying nothing, and, and not defending himself. In Mark 14.60, we read of the trial of Christ, that the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. That's incredible self-control. It's called trusting God. And I'm, I certainly don't have the corner on it. And uh, I, I assume you don't. But it's really, it's really the mark that Christ made for us to shoot for, isn't it? He said nothing. He didn't try to defend himself. That takes faith. It is possible. It's hard, but it's possible. It's called being Christ-like. And it was written of Christ 700 years before his birth in Isaiah 53, 7, that he was oppressed and he was afflicted Yet he opened not his mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is done, so he openeth not his mouth. Christ just said nothing. 
And Joseph is a picture of Christ. Joseph, we don't read about him defending himself. Really, that wasn't his concern. You know what the main concern of Joseph was here? We're going to learn something from it. His main concern really was not getting out of trouble. It was submitting to the will of God. What a novel thought. <laughs> not, not, not saving his name. That wasn't his top priority. It wasn't uh, somebody's trashing my reputation and I need to set the record straight. None of that. It was bringing glory to God. Bringing glory to God. How do we react to false accusation? I mean, we get accused sometimes. Well, Joseph doesn't even defend, defend himself. And by the way, God looks down at that and he turns the tide eventually in the life of Joseph, which he will for us. In fact, years later, think about it. Joseph becomes Potiphar's boss. In fact, he's second only to Pharaoh at that point. And the shoe's on the other foot and the knife's now to Potiphar's throat. And imagine the revenge at that point Joseph could have got toward Potiphar's wife. I mean, he could have had her beheaded, basically. But he let it go. He left it alone. He let it ride. But for now, Joseph's in a dungeon. It's not pleasant, folks. In fact, the psalmist gives us a little bit of insight into what was going on in Psalm 105.17, where it says, He sent a man before them, speaking of God sending Joseph, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. Now, it doesn't say any of that in Genesis here, but we know that's how it took place. He's in this crummy Egyptian dungeon with his feet hurting in fetters in irons. Totally. It's very, very uncomfortable here. And the prisoners are, are harassing him. Oh, you, you went for it with Potiphar's wife. And so they're giving him a hard time. The guards, they got to be giving him a hard time because Potiphar's the head of them. And so they can make brownie points with the boss by really coming down hard on this Hebrew guy. In fact, the co-workers back at the house hate him even more now because they believe her. Before that, it was his stepbrother. I'm telling you, all this stuff is coming down on him. There's about a half a dozen words in a verse in the book of Genesis. Genesis 42, 36. All these things are against me. You ever felt that way? That had to be how Joseph felt at this point. All these things are against me. And he could have been having quite the pity party. But he isn't. He's overcoming. He's overcoming. Now, how does he overcome? Well, first of all, by keeping his focus on God. As long as God knew the truth in this whole thing, that's all that mattered. And God knew the truth. And so it didn't matter what everybody else was saying about Joseph, how they were feeling about Joseph. God knew the truth in the matter. And God was on Joseph's side. And you and God make a majority, and God and I make majority, and that's really all that matters. It really doesn't matter what everybody else is saying. So he kept his focus on God. But secondly, he was able to overcome by tapping into God's grace. And boy, I'm telling you, he needed that grace at this point. We read in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where Paul said of God, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God told Paul, all you need is my grace. My grace is enough. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And certainly, Joseph was in the valley at a very low ebb in his life, at a very weak time in his life, and God's grace was sufficient. Is it sufficient for what you're going through? Maybe you're facing opposition right now. Maybe you're facing resistance in life right now. Maybe you're in kind of a low ebb and a, a valley in life. Is God's grace sufficient for you? Well, normally when we have a problem in life, it's self-inflicted. 
It's, it's, it's our own mess. We're reaping what we, we have sowed. But if you haven't, stay sincere. All right? Tap into God's grace. Stay sincere. Look, life's not perfect. Keep a good attitude. Keep cooperating. Uh, don't start stewing. And, and basically back up and say, is my life pleasing to God? Because that's really all that matters. Is our life pleasing to Him? Proverbs 16.7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. If a man's ways please the Lord like Joseph's, God will take care of it. Even your enemies will be at peace with you. Maybe you're a young person here today and, and, and there's some friction at home. Just let your life please the Lord. Maybe you're a spouse here today and there's some friction in your marriage. Just let your life please the Lord. Maybe you're an employee here and, and you're having a hard time with your co-workers or your boss. But really, is your life pleasing to the Lord? Maybe you're a church member and you're going through it. Just please God. Joseph was not nearly so worried about being in that prison as he was pleasing God. That's what he wanted to do above all. Just wanted to please God. And that doesn't mean there will never be an injustice in life. There will be. You're going to go through them. But it really doesn't matter. doesn't matter if you know Christ. You know, there's a reason why God puts stories like this in the Bible, if you think about it. Over in Romans 15, it says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, for our sake. In other words, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And so these things were placed in the Bible for our sake. We can draw something from them. 1 Corinthians 10.11 says, Now all these things happened unto them for examples. And it goes on and it says, They're written for our admonition upon whom the end of the world has come. And so here we are, living in the end times, looking back on things they went through and finding from them that they trusted God, they kept going, and God was merciful. And God saw them through that. And they were able to overcome. You know that God needed Joseph to preserve the Jewish nation, which was really little at that time, but would swell into millions, and from them, God would bring His Messiah into this world in order to save the world. And Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now we're talking about overcoming, and the Bible says, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. If you've been saved, if you know Christ, the grace is there. And God will monitor our temptations and be sure that we can come through them. If you've never been born again the Bible way, the Bible says, he that is born of God overcometh the world. Then salvation is your greatest need. Have you had a time in your life when you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? You understood you were lost, understood you were a sinner, the wages of sin is hell or death, but in repentance you were willing to turn from that sin, and in faith you turned to Christ and trusted his salvation, or your salvation to what he did on Calvary's cross and were born again the Bible way. Have you been saved? And if you have, can you overcome well, Joseph's a picture of Christ, and through Christ, yes, we can overcome. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. 
Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.